Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is David Marriott. David is an editor at IDW Publishing, where he edits a range of comic book titles, including Transformers, Sonic the Hedgehog, as well as others, including Canto, which we had previously featured on this show. He's also a comic book writer himself and is currently co-writing Transformers versus The Terminator for IDW in Dark Horse. David, all of this is very cool stuff. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Court. We haven't interviewed a ton of comic book editors, though it's a world that we're very interested in. My first question, though, is usually where are you in the world? Quarantine is happening. Where are you based right now? So I'm based in my house, which is in San Diego, California. It's really nice being here. It's where I grew up, and it's where IDW is located. Tell us about quarantine and how it's affecting the industry. We've talked to some screenwriters and TV producers about how it's affecting the film industry, but we haven't talked to anyone quite yet about how the comic industry is affected. Walk us through kind of how it's affected things and what's the outlook. I mean... Let me start by saying the outlook is positive, because I think that's actually the most important part of it all. But comics have, on the whole, had a bit of a roller coaster of the past couple of months. Obviously, a lot of comic shops have had to close down because of quarantine and lockdown conditions in their states. A lot of the publishers have had to readjust their publishing lines in pretty significant ways that I think we're going to be seeing more and more of as the days go by. Diamond had a point where they were only shipping out backlist titles and weren't releasing new comics, though it looks like that's going to be changing in uh, just a few weeks, which is really exciting. So yeah, there have been times when people have, you know, had to put pencils down for various publishers and not work on their comics. And a lot of times, and I think much sooner than uh, people were really expecting, people have been getting the call to put pencils back up and get back to work. I'll also just throw out some praise to the Creators for Comics initiative that was organized by Sam Humphreys. Kimmy Garcia, uh, Brian Michael Bendez, Gwenda Bond, and Phil Jimenez, which was a charity initiative for uh, comic book shops and independent bookstores that are currently struggling with cash flow. I personally donated some time and uh, stuff in my house to that, and they ended up raising, I think, upwards of $400,000. So it's pretty cool. And how do you foresee this situation changing the future of comics? Do you think anything permanently will change for good or bad? Almost certainly. I think that one of the actually kind of nice things, despite it all that has happened, is that it has really done a lot to make sure that people are checking in with their comic book stores. 
I've seen a lot of comic book stores try to modernize, and most of them have done it very successfully to figure out, you know, better online ordering processes, better phone ordering processes, curbside pickup. And most of the stores that I love and frequent, have loved and frequented across the country, seem like they're doing just fine. So all in all, that stuff's going to be good. The biggest short-term change is just going to be there are a lot of comics that are ready to go out and ready for people to read them and only so much, you know, space on the shelves to put them out to. So we're going to be seeing some bigger changes to publishing schedules and the ways that comics come out and when they come out for the next while. What about digital comics? Obviously, there's a big percentage of the business of people who just prefer to read online anyway. I'm assuming that was less affected from your perspective. How has that been affected? Has that been down as well? Has that had a surge? Will that go down? Tell us kind of what your thoughts are on that. I mean, I think that honestly, digital's probably gone up as it seems to have gone up for, you know, any other entertainment medium during the quarantine. Uh, I know Netflix is posting record stocks or whatever because more people are watching Netflix. So I'm sure digital sales have gone up. And I know that from a publishing side, we've been pushing digital sales because we, you know, want people to have access to the things that they want to read in a safe way. Overall, though, there's something about the print medium that's never going to die and that people love. And because only a few publishers released new digital products into the marketplace, you know, there's not a lot of, oh, I missed Batman 89 or whatever because it only came out digitally. And now I'm not going to pick up 90 when I go into a comic shop. You're still going to have the next issue on shelves when you go back in when it's safe to. And I think that it's a cumulative effect. So now there are more digital readers and people are going to start reading digitally, but they're also going to be going back in their comic shops and might just be choosing which titles they do which way. Before we talk process, tell us about your origin story. So you're an editor. You're also mm-hmm. a writer. Did you always want to be both? How did that start? And walk us through the trajectory to this point. I often joke that my origin story can be summed up in one word, nepotism. My parents are the former co-owners of Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore here in San Diego, which just celebrated its 27th birthday, the first one with the new owners. My dad is a comic book writer as well as a prose author. My <laughs> He was an editor at... Wildstorm Productions, and then the first editor-in-chief at IDW. My mom still works in the books industry and is a lifelong bookseller. My stepmom is a writer. My stepdad works at Comic-Con. So yeah, this was kind of destined. This is definitely what I wanted to do growing up. And I had always known I wanted to write comics, but it was when I got to college and was studying journalism, and ended up as an editor on the Daily Wildcat that I realized, oh man, I really love editing too. And that's, I think, what I want to do with writing. And not just because editing means I get a steadier paycheck in health benefits. Before we get into the process side of things, for those who are aspiring to be editors, 
Are there steps you would suggest to get their foot in the door? What would you suggest? How would they get started? I mean, I genuinely believe that the best thing that helped me learn how to be a good editor was working at a college newspaper. So, you know, if you're able to work at a newspaper or able to work at a gig as a copy editor, as an editor, desk editor, what have you, that's a great way to do it, you know, and then switch it to comics or publishing in another way. A biggest thing for me is just knowing once you've proven to your friends that you are good at the uh, language in which you speak and write, that opens up a lot of doors to helping them do their stuff. And as you collaborate with people, as you edit them, that starts to build up a resume. Yeah, that's that's definitely where I'd say to start, <laughs> just doing it. And what about writers themselves? Is there something you would suggest for them to start as far as getting their foot in the door? Is there a particular type of project you suggest or a particular way to get their work out there? Yes. And so one of the things I'll say is often writers come into this through either other mediums. You know, there's someone who is like a Neil Gaiman. And before he was writing comics, he was writing uh, music reviews and magazine articles. So often those folks can sort of come in if you're doing other sorts of writing. But if you're not, Honestly, one of the best things you can do is just make up your own stuff and create your own comics. Comic book editors are constantly looking at indie books because we really like them. We have fun reading them, and it's where a lot of the freshest ideas come from. So it's where we want to see new developing talent. I know that coming up and coming up with an original process putting out a whole comic book can be really difficult. It's a lot of time and often money and coordination working with other people uh, often to make it happen. But that really is a super beneficial way of doing it. My one sort of word of caution with all of that is that fan work tends to be much, much more difficult for people in the editorial process to uh, read and consume um, due to various legal complications. I can't say, for example, read any Sonic the Hedgehog fanfic. And I know that there's some really good stuff out there, but I can't read it. So I have to measure the quality of a writer through what I can read. You said that you enjoy reading original new works. What are the platforms? How are you finding them on Twitter? Where are you going to search for that work? I assume a lot of people are also reaching out to you. So where do you prefer to find new work? It really comes from all over the place. In a more you know normal world, I end up picking up a few books during any sort of comic convention that I attend because, hey, you're right there. You're selling me on it. Uh, you have a good idea of what you're doing. Sometimes the stuff comes in through submissions to IDW. That's actually how we found Canto. Uh, it come in as a submission to IDW, and I was like, oh, hey, these guys are really talented. And we ended up picking up the book, and now there's a whole title because they you know, came up with a few pages that 
really struck a chord with us all. But yeah, also Twitter tends to be really handy. I read some web comics that I've discovered through Twitter. Recently, I've been catching up on Alec Robbins' Mr. Boop, a very silly webcomic about him being married to Betty Boop. And then the other thing is just, for lack of a better term, word of mouth. Comics creators tend to be a pretty tight-knit group. And so we talk a lot about what we're excited to be reading and the people that we're excited to see writing. So when it comes to that, it's largely recommendation-based. If my one of my friends says, hey, have you read this? My answer is no. More often than not, they end up shoving it into my hands and I read it and discover new talent. Let's move into process. Usually we frame our episodes around themes. In this case, I would love to cover comic book editing 101, really dive into your process. Are you down to school us on your insights? Sure, absolutely. So the first question, tell us about IDW. For those who are just getting into comics, who don't know, obviously it's a big publisher. How does it compare to other big publishers, Marvel, DC? Obviously it has original comics, like you said, it has licensed IP. Walk us through what makes it different. So IDW Publishing is the fourth largest comics publisher um, right behind DC, Marvel, and Image. Uh, like you said, we do licensed IP. Uh, I personally work on Transformers and Sonic the Hedgehog. We do original content like Canto and Livio Rimandelli's The Kill Lock. Probably the most famous thing that we are known for all told is the series Lock and Key by Joe Hill and Gabe Rodriguez. It's now a Netflix series, which is pretty cool. Um, we also did 30 Days of Night by Steve Niles and Ben Templesmith. So realistically, IDW used to be known as kind of the horror publisher because that's what a lot of our original works were. And then it became known as the licensed publisher because we picked up so many good powerful licenses like Transformers, like Sonic, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And now I think IDW is a publisher for a really eclectic mix of new creator visions, uh, smart creator-owned books that you aren't really seeing from other places, and the best licensed books in the biz. Uh, We really care about licenses we go after and we work hard to make them you know the not just good licensed comics but good comics when you say creator owned walk us through what that means i know that sometimes when a new writer gets a deal with a publishing company there's different terms and obviously creator owned can mean a few different things but you would think from the definition that it means they own the rights to it potentially with movies and that kind of stuff too is that the case with idw So creator-owned does mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, Sometimes it's just used as sort of an umbrella term for uh, original IP that the company doesn't own. But for a lot of books at IDW, not all of them, and I can't say this is what a creator-owned book is at IDW necessarily because each deal really is unique. It is tailored to the people involved. But what it usually means is the person who came up with the idea or the team that came up with the idea, the writer, the artist, often, but not always, you know, the colorist, the letterer, whoever is involved, fully owns the copyright to the book. They 
have the property and it is theirs. We are just a vehicle to help them publish it and, you know, find an audience for it in a mutually beneficial way. Sometimes creator-owned books are a little bit different. Sometimes uh, they're things that are created by someone uh, for a company and co-owned by whoever came up with the idea and the company. Very rarely there are things where a company somehow has majority control, but overall they are new original IP that ultimately belongs in the hands of the people who created it. As far as what a comic book editor does, for those who don't know, can you walk us through the very basic guidelines of the things that you do? And does that involve finding talent as well? Walk us through the basics. So a comic book editor is partially a project manager, partially a sheep herder, uh, occasionally a therapist, and often someone who thinks a lot about storytelling and the art of comics. In my day-to-day, you know, I sit on my computer and answer emails, and that's the majority of what I'm doing. But really, your job is to make sure that books are coming in on time and uh, on budget, working with creative talent directly to make sure that they are comfortable with everything they're doing and producing the best work possible, working with the company to make sure that the books that we're doing are the best for our own image and our own profits and the like, and working hard to make sure that the stories that we tell are gripping and meaningful to the readers. So a lot of that is, again, writing emails to people, checking in to make sure people are turning in their work. Um, We're involved with really every part of the creative process, um, particularly on licensed titles. So it's coming up with talent in the first place, you know, meeting people around the world, talking to other editors for recommendations to put together creative teams, walking through the pitch process, which often involves not just writers, but artists and uh, licensors on licensed titles, uh, coordinating the writing and the art and the coloring and the lettering and everything else under the sun, working closely with uh, production artists at IDW who do most of the assembly of our books and put together the final finished comic that you're holding, all sorts of stuff. And yeah, sometimes it also means I go on Twitter and just tweet about how excited I am that there's a new issue of Sonic or reach out and talk to, you know, my local podcast and (laughs) get to, you know, enjoy talking to people about comics and the things that we love to do. From what I've heard, editors work on a lot of different projects in different phases. How are you assigned those different titles? How are you chosen for those different titles, both creator-owned and licensed IP? I imagine for maybe the licensed IP, maybe those are more assignment-based and maybe creator-owned, you're seeking those out yourself. Is that correct? Walk me through how you get these different projects. It can really be a bit of both. And I personally always feel very fortunate because I 
have largely gotten to choose the titles that I work on, though a lot of it has also happened through just happenstance. I think a really good example is Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, when we first uh, were talking with our friends at Sega about getting the Sonic license, literally, as soon as word reached me, I ran into our editor-in-chief's office and said, you got to put me on Sonic. I love that stuff. I already have ideas, so just let me at them. And, well, uh, he thanked me for my enthusiasm and sent me back to my desk. And then later, when I actually got called into a meeting with Sega and got to really show them that enthusiasm, it became obvious that, yeah, this was a good match. Um, Similarly, I love Transformers and uh, ultimately ended up working on Transformers because I was working with Hasbro on so many other projects and the former Transformers editor was leaving the company. So it just made sense. And sometimes things like Kanto or the Kill Lock come in through review committee. Um, I worked with Livio Romandelli, the Kill Lock, a lot on Transformers. So it came in through our sort of editorial review process. And I had pretty much already called dibs on it. But certainly sometimes these things are just who has the most bandwidth, who has the most availability, and who has the best take on what it could be to determine who gets to edit the book. I would love to walk through the steps from the inception of when you get an idea or get a a comic either pitched to you Mm -hmm. or, or you're developing it from the beginning. For those situations, I imagine, where sometimes someone will reach out to you, a comic writer will reach out with a pitch. Is that something that you're working directly with and developing? or Again, it really comes down to the difference between licensed titles and original titles. Uh, when it's a licensed title, often we have you know, a top-level idea of what we are looking for. We'll... Uh, put together a request for proposal that we send out to anyone that we have interested in pitching that outlines some very basic stuff. As I think was mentioned, I'm a co-writer on Transformers versus the Terminator with two of my other IDW colleagues, Tom Waltz and John Barber. And that one really came together because we were putting together the uh, request for a proposal for what the series could be we kind of knew we were going to do this with dark horse but we didn't know what it was as we started to put that together we figured out what the story was accidentally and then decided hey you know let's put this together as an actual formal proposal and that's how it came to be when it comes to something outside of us you know often that is much more far removed and i'm less involved in the pitching process Though not always. When Canto came to us, the first issue was pretty much done and it came fully realized. Like it was, here is a comic that they wanted to put together, and here's the plot for not just the first Canto story, but the next one, which is going to be coming out soon Canto 2, The Hollow Men. Or when Livio brought in Kill Lock. It was something that he had just been working on in his free time and almost totally put together. Occasionally, I do get the chance to reach out to creators that I like and say, hey, would you be interested in pitching something? And often when that happens, 
it's much more collaborative. It's much more working back and forth to make a pitch as good as it possibly could be for it to come to IDW as a company and not just me as an editor. But yeah, it's, it is a complicated process because no pitch is the same and no way to receive it is the same. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writerexperience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You mentioned that Canto was pretty fully formed. So would you suggest that for those writers who are reaching out to IDW or any other publisher, how far along in the process should they be? It really depends. Often the you know, sort of base level is that we want to see something that is at least fully realized on an authorial end, not to say, you know, written out all the way or anything like that, but I have seen pitches in the past that explain, here's what happens in the backstory, here's what happens in issues one, two, and three, and yes, there is an end. And often that doesn't really help. I need to know, okay, well, what happens in issues four, five, and six and the end? So making sure that you have not just a good idea, but a idea that you have a basic structure on is important. Honestly, it's really beneficial to have started a little bit of work yourself. Again, not just in writing a structured outline but um we tend to look at pitches that have uh, art samples attached they have the first couple of pages drawn out or uh at least significant you know character designs and cover ideas and progress that shows that this is something the creator is serious about I think when David Boer was on your episode talking about Canto, he talked about the fact that they had a, I think, 10-page pitch packet that outlined the first story, some future ideas, the first five pages of the book, 
and some you know miscellany that uh fleshed out the world more and i don't expect every pitch to come in like that it was kind of an exceptional one but i do expect to be fully invested in what your story is and to know that you are fully invested in what your story is when it comes to me what about agents obviously in the film and tv world agents and managers are a big part of being the middle people between a writer and those who are accepting submissions. For the comic book world, it seems as though it's a little less common. Writers can sometimes reach out directly to uh, editors and submit their pitches to publishers directly without an agent, but I know they exist. How frequent is that a thing? And would you suggest that comic writers be looking for an agent? So agents in comic book writing are, I think, an increasingly frequent thing there are still a lot of comic book writers and artists, because I'll make sure they're included on this too, who I work with who don't have an agent. And often that is fine because, you know, it's not my intent to give anyone a bad deal. But, you know, that is still something you have to watch out for. You don't want to be navigating through any industry blind if you can help it. So agents are increasingly frequent. Um, Most of them are delightful people to work with and don't really, you know, make that big a difference in the process uh, as long as they're helpful and communicative and uh, easy to work with. Sometimes it means you're missing out on a little bit of more direct communication with the writer or the artist, which uh, isn't always my favorite. I've had to give notes before and it always feels weird giving notes to a middleman. But then I also think about it and that's exactly what I do every day. I am the middleman for giving notes from writers to uh, IDW as a publisher or notes from licensors back to writers. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely something that is increasingly common and I think is largely a good thing because again, you know, anyone who can help you navigate a business that you may or may not be super familiar with. Great. That's, that's sort of what you want. As far as the editing process itself, at what point are you usually brought on? I imagine oftentimes it's early in the process. And at that point, are you developing working with a writer on the higher level arcs and outlines or do those already exist what point do you start coming in and getting involved in the creative as with so many things it really kind of depends most of the time because i primarily work on licensed titles um i am in the pits from before the get-go i am talking with the rights holder uh folks like Sega, who owns Sonic the Hedgehog, or Hasbro, who owns Transformers, to figure out what their sort of requirements are for a series. And often, you know, that's not dictating what the series has to be. It's more uh, helping me figure out what sort of the limitations are in terms of storytelling. So you're never going to see a Sonic comic where he's a big green turtle who just happens to be named Sonic the Hedgehog. He's going to be a super fast blue hedgehog. So that's often where I'm starting. And then 
uh, I'm working with other editors generally. Um, I co-edit Transformers with Tom Waltz for the most part. Um, Riley Farmer, who is a relatively new addition to IDW, is my assistant editor on both Transformers and Sonic. And we will sit down, figure out who we want to have pitch, figure out what artists we like, and then invite them to get started on the creative process with us. Often pitches for stories run through a few different people. There are very few projects that I've been involved with where I walked up to, I say walked, I emailed uh, one creator and said, hey, what's your vision for XYZ? And they said, here it is. And it was a done deal. But those do happen occasionally. Uh, It happened with Sonic. We knew that we wanted to have Ian Flynn come in as the writer because he is just a fantastic Sonic writer. And we knew he was going to have some really great ideas to start. Yeah, so we're starting all the way back and then working through the pitching process with writers, with licensors, occasionally, again, with IDW as a company, if it's coming in as a creator-owned IP, and building on every step to build a creative team to execute the rest of the book. And then, if it's doing well, uh, continue doing that sort of as needs necessitate and going through it arc by arc or story by story or what have you and just planning out what the future will hold. How about number of issues? How do you approach how many issues you're tackling? What does the run usually look like? Or do you sometimes focus just on a pilot comic and kind of develop from there? So often we are starting out with a decision of whether or not it's a mini series or an ongoing series and we'll adjust accordingly. So if it's an ongoing series, we don't usually have a, you know, issue count in mind. And so it's more important that we start with the first major story with Transformers. Uh, We relaunched Transformers in 2019. And when we were working with Brian Ruckley on what the first arc would be, we asked him, you know, just to focus on the first six issues to start. We had some idea of what was going to happen after that because we had been talking with them, but we really focused in on those first six issues and made sure that those were in the most robust shape. And since have basically worked in six issue arcs. And so every time we're about halfway through an arc, we start planning out the next six issues. Uh, somewhat similarly with Sonic, we plan really far ahead when we can with that book. I have been talking with, uh, our writer, Ian Flynn and our incoming writer, Evan Stanley. And we already have some ideas of what Sonic is going to look like, you know, more than a year from now. So... With something like that, sometimes we're doing much longer term planning just because it's better to get ahead and it's nice to know where a story is going to go. When we're doing a mini series, often we're going 
to a writer with some constraints and saying, you know, hey, what's the best story you can tell us in four issues or five issues or six issues? And that really helps narrow their focus a lot. I worked on a Transformers Ghostbusters crossover, for example, with the usual IDW Ghostbusters team of Eric Burnham, Dan Schoening, and Luis Antonio Delgado. And when we went to Eric and said, hey, would you like to write this? We very specifically said, it's a five-issue series. Here's you know some background information. Here's Ectotron, the new uh, Transformer who becomes the Ecto-1. What story can you tell in five issues? And that's what he delivered. He made sure to tell something that's only that is interesting enough that it can run a whole series, but uh, not so overly broad that it leaves too many hanging threads afterwards. Once you're in the weeds of writing the comics themselves, using Canto as an example, maybe, what does the back and forth look like? I imagine you're working with David during the writing process and then once it moves into the you know the process of drew creating the art walk us kind of through what it looks like so with canto i largely get to actually be a pretty hands-off editor that's part of the virtue of doing a creator-owned book david is an excellent writer he puts good stuff down on the paper the first time i mostly just end up doing like cleanups for grammar you know picking up a couple commas or whatever and then leave nice notes that are like, I'm so sorry, Drew, that David is doing this to you because David's just described an epic <laughs> double-page splash and it's going to look great, but now Drew has to draw it and I'm sure he's going to hurt his wrist <laughs> doing it. When it comes to other titles, though, when it comes to things like Sonic, for example, um, I'm very in the weeds on it. There is a lot of back and forth with the writers just to make sure it's, you know, the book that we want it to be in every way, shape, and form. Sometimes, you know, it's, again, sort of copy-edit. This sentence is missing a word or whatever, and there needs to be a period here. Sometimes it's, well, what if we change this thing so that it contributes better to the overall story, particularly when we're writing something that has to be told as an arc and is being told across multiple issues uh you want to make sure that things make sense issue to issue and be not necessarily a continuity cop but thoughtful of how setting something up will pay off in the future or how something can be a payoff for something that was inadvertently set up previously and then also with that there's a lot of working closely with licensors you know sega looks at every single script for sonic and often comes back with their own notes that then i work with ian to incorporate into a script and finally get the perfect script that we're all happy with um in terms of how involved the writers are after that uh we do try to keep them pretty involved though Sometimes due to delays of the creative process, it just takes a while to actually get there. One of the things that I make sure to do on all of my books is writers see a copy of the lettered 
comic before it goes to press. Like, no matter what, I always try to make sure that happens. Often I have them see it both at just a lettered phase on like uncolored art. And then again, as sort of a final PDF with everything else built, you know, the covers in there, the cover gallery in the back is in there. The letters column is in there, whatever, just so they can have a holistic sense of what the book looks like. Um, Often try to loop in the rest of the creative team to make sure that's happening too. And a big part of that is that sometimes writers and artists and colorists are even better editors than I am in that they realize, oh, something is amiss in what has gone on the page and they can help make sure those things are fixed before we fully, you know, move ahead on it. Uh, Sometimes they catch things that your eyes just miss because it's your sixth time reading through the same words on a page. And that's hugely important and something that you can only sometimes get from someone who is as intimately involved with it as you, but has uh, the freedom of not having to look at every step again and again and again. And, you know, always has sort of fresher eyes on it. When do you know when a comic book gets close to being completed? How do you know it's ready? And then what are those next steps for you as an editor as it moves to the actual publishing phase? Are you then, I assume, moving on to other books? So, I mean, the biggest way to tell that a comic is almost ready is uh, one of our production artists says, hey, your book's ready. But it's keeping count of and keeping track of all the moving parts to make sure that they are all in at a place where you need them to be. So, you know, it's making sure it's essentially going through a big checklist and saying, okay, have I made sure the script is edited properly and formatted properly for our letterer? Okay, good. Is the document that just says, you know, here are the creative credits in good is the roll call or the story so far in to be built good do i have all the art do i have all the colors you know uh is it approved by whoever needs to approve it because ultimately every book needs the approval of someone outside of just me it needs to go back to the creator or it needs to go back to the licensor or it needs to go back to both for them to sign off on it and once the checklist is done and I mean an actual checklist. I don't print them out at home. I just do them digitally. But uh, when I'm at the office, I do it on a hard copy. When that checklist is completed, the book is ready to go. And uh, our production artist will help get it off to print. And once a book is gone to print, often it's on to the next project. And sometimes, you know, onto the next project is in the middle of another project because I'm editing six books a month or whatever. And sometimes things just come in right in the middle of other things. But occasionally you do go back and review what you have already put to bed, uh, either because you have a little bit of time and you've realized you've missed something or because, uh, you're trying to make changes for a later version. 
I know I've had that happen where uh, there's a typo that gets left in the actual comic, and then when we're putting together a collection version of it, you know, I make sure that typo is taken care of there, so at least it's right someplace. David, what's the end goal for you? I know you're a writer as well. Do you imagine you'll continue doing both editing and writing? Is writing the thing that you ultimately want to move towards? Walk us through what your goals are and where you want to be in the next few years. Ultimately, I think my goal is kind of the same goal I've had since I was a little kid, which is to ascend to a high-level editor position, presumably editor-in-chief, though, you know, I know John Barber is doing a great job in that position at IBW right now. And to keep writing and do more and more comics writing, I don't want to say that I have super lofty goals. I don't want to write the next great American novel or anything, but, you know, I want to tell stories that I enjoy and that other people enjoy that make them feel seen and heard and part of whatever they're reading. David, are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? Absolutely. First one, you're a writer. You're an editor. How does being a writer help you edit? And how does being an editor help you write? Oh, uh, both of them help so much with the other. Being a writer helps me edit in that it means I'm even more so than I am just as an editor, always thinking about stories and story structure and how to best tell a tale. Um, So, you know, sometimes something's just not working with a script for whatever reason. Often, you know, it's not something too extreme. It's something small and fixable. But working as a writer, I also have more of an eye to say, oh, well, this is the fix. And then talk to my writers as an editor and figure out how to get the story back on track. As an editor who also writes, when I'm working on my writing, it means that I am way too self-critical sometimes. And it's about turning that sort of part of my brain off and going through a draft and just doing it and then going back through it with my editorial eye and figuring out what, you know, I can do to fix it. One other thing that I'll say is one of the great advantages to being at IDW is that so many of us in editorial are also comic writers. So with maybe one or two exceptions, everyone who works in editorial at IDW has written a comic or drawn a comic or otherwise worked in some other part of the comics making process and can bring that sort of expertise in. And so when we're working with each other, which, you know, we don't do a ton, but at least not in the editor-writer relationship, but when we are doing that, we're working with other people who are not just good editors, but are themselves good writers and know exactly what we are doing and what we are going through and can lend their own sort of expertise as writers to it as well. The next question you mentioned very early on in this episode, I believe, meeting people at Comic-Cons and people pitching you on their Mm -hmm. books and people talking about them. What would you say 
is the secret to a good pitch and a way of communicating your book at a convention quickly, concisely, but also respectfully without really dropping it on someone who might or might not know you? So I don't want to say don't pitch it at a show because that (laughs) isn't true. But, you know, one of the best things you can do is if you're going to a show to pitch someone, you know, make sure you're having a conversation with them. Make sure you're treating them like a person that you want to get to know and not just someone who is, you know, fortunately in a position that could help you career wise, right? Like, I highly uh, respect and remember the people that I talk to who talk to me just about, like, Hey, how's life going? You seem really tired. How long have you been on the convention floor? As opposed to the people who just walk up with a pitch in hand and treat it as all business all the time. But in terms of what to properly do when you're pitching, um, not only is it best to not necessarily try to go over things there and then, I say if you have a good log line, if you have something that will be memorable, bring that up, ask someone if they're interested in it, and then if they are, make sure you get their card and follow up with them shortly after the show, because that way they will have way more brain capacity to actually review it properly. With that too, I think that a really, really key thing to do is if you want to pitch a comics editor, period, regardless of whether it's at a show or via email or whatever, you should have an idea of who they are and what they edit. It's really nice that comics editors can sometimes be kind of chameleons and, you know, have many different projects. I've edited horror comics that are very, very different from, well, I was going to say Sonic the Hedgehog, but currently that story is about a Zombot apocalypse, so (laughs) I guess they're not too different. But it's very different from, say, Hanazuki, which is a cute kids comic that I wrote and uh, worked on. So, you know, it's about figuring out if you are talking to someone who is your target audience because uh, very rarely is, you know, very rarely am I, as an editor, looking for an epic fantasy book just because that's not really what I read or what I edit. And so I know that I wouldn't necessarily want to take on your project just because I am not the best person to give notes on it give it a nice twist you make it like canto which is in itself a sort of epic fantasy sure but realistically if it has a cartoon animal or a robot i'm probably way more likely to be the right person to talk to about it than if it's you know hard science fiction thing or uh non-fiction prose well not prose but uh non-fiction uh semi-prose book if you could choose one learning or insight from your career to pass along to those writers listening right now, what would you say? I'm going to pass on a piece of advice that was given to me early in my career. Actually, I guess a little bit before my career started. I was at 
San Diego Comic-Con and I was talking to Paul Levitz, who uh, was at DC for many, many years as a writer, as an editor, as their editor-in-chief. And Paul told me, you know, as I was getting ready to go into college, not to go to college to learn how to write, you know, that's not necessarily something that's going to help me. If you have good ideas, you're going to have good ideas. And it's very difficult for someone to teach you how to have good ideas. But instead, go to college to learn, you know, about what interests you to better build those good ideas and enhance your storytelling. And so I went to college for journalism and gender and women's studies and would not change a thing about that, I don't think, because they didn't teach me how to write necessarily, but it gave me so much more information on what to write about. So all told, you know, some writers here are not going to be going into school anytime soon. But I think it's important that you not just focus on learning how to write properly, you know, not just learning format, not just learning theoretically how to uh, have a good idea. But really, you know, spend time doing research, doing work on the things that you want to write about so that when you do write about them, you are informed and have some authority to what you're writing. Last question, David. Did you have fun with us today? I think we barely even covered the tip of the iceberg on editing, but I think it was really fun and informative for writers. Did you have fun? I did. I had a ton of fun. I love talking about this stuff and could go on for hours. Awesome. Did you want to plug any upcoming projects? Obviously, you mentioned Canto. Did you want to talk about that or any other books that are coming out? Absolutely. So I'll quickly plug Transformers versus the Terminator. Uh, issue one is out now. Issues two through four will be out sometime on the other side of this when comic shops are open and shipping. It's a really fun series that I co-wrote with uh, John Barber and Tom Waltz that asked the question, well, what if the Terminator, the T-800, came back in time to try to stop evil robots from conquering the Earth, uh, the evil robots being the Decepticons? And it really twists uh, both Transformers and Terminator mythology and lends itself well to the two things interacting. There is a new Canto series coming. There will be a one-shot soon called Canto and the Clockwork Fairies, and then a second book that is called Canto to the Hollow Men. Um, I'm very excited for that. Always, I recommend picking up other titles I edit, Sonic the Hedgehog, Transformers, Transformers Galaxies, Transformers 84, what have you. Yeah, there's a lot coming out from IDW. Good luck with everything. And uh, thank you again. We really appreciate your insights and your time, David. Of course. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.